planning on starting to record my reflections on the passage that I'm going to be preaching in upcoming weeks. Um, I've been thinking about the way that I process, and I'm a very verbal thinker, so I feel like I always have to be either writing or speaking out loud in order to clarify my ideas. I'm not a very picture uh, or, or imagery-based thinker, so drawing doesn't always make a ton of sense to me, though sometimes I can get there. Um, and uh, I'm incredibly non-spatial um, or tactile, right? I, I don't I don't learn from touching or from um, from spaces. I'm the worst at directions. I can drive to a place a uh, hundred times and still not know how to get there um, without my GPS. So I think verbal has always worked well for me, and I've found that I can clarify what it is that I want to say to somebody when I'm uh, talking with a friend or even just in my bathroom alone, just speaking to myself as if I'm speaking to a friend. I'll create arguments in my head. Anyways, all of that to say, I think that verbal processing is an important part of how I approach messages, um, preaching, doctrine, all these kinds of things. Uh, how I develop what I believe. So I wanted to think through the topic for today. I'm driving home from a vacation, so sorry if it's a little bit loud, um, a little bit rumbly. So I wanted to think through today's reflection. We've been talking about what it means to serve our neighbor. Um, what, we've been talking about service in the Christian life. And in the weeks previous, we talked about the why of serving, um, why we serve, um, and specifically uh, the reason we serve, at least in my understanding, is that we have been freed by Christ to do so. Um, we are free, not for ourselves. We have been freed by the cross, not for ourselves, uh, but for the sake of our neighbor, so that Paul can adequately say, uh, shall we continue to go on sinning, may it never be, in light of the freedom that we've been given in Christ. Um, the only way that that makes any sense is if we are to use our freedom not for ourselves but for our neighbor, which is a theme that comes up over and over again in the writings of Paul, a very communitarian vision of discipleship in which I cannot be a proper disciple in wit, uh, unless I am in and around my neighbor. Um, not in my neighbor, that's not right. Uh, around my neighbor, um, with my neighbor. So... That's the why. We've been freed by Christ from concern about ourselves, from fear of earthly things, um, from fear of our neighbor um, so that we might love our neighbor, um, that was so that we might serve our neighbor. And um, we also serve because the God who has adopted us into his family, who has given us the blood, his own blood for our veins, uh, is Jesus Christ, the one who was humiliated on the cross, who came to give his life as a ransom for many, who came not to be served, but to serve. So that is our master, that is the one that we follow, and so that is the, um, that's the reason that we serve. And then uh, last week we talked about, or the last week that we gathered, we talked about um, who it is that we 
are to serve. We talked about three striations in what it means to be uh, a neighbor, um, uh, what it means to serve our fellow man. So we talked about serving our brother and sister in Christ. Um, we talked about serving our neighbor and our stranger, um, the, the people that are foreign to us and, and maybe don't have any tight relationship to us that we don't owe anything to, right? Not family, not friends, not people that we would naturally love, but people that may beg of us along the way or people who may need us to be hospitable to them. Uh, the, the best example, um, at least literarily being the Good Samaritan um, walking alongside the man beaten and bruised on the side of the road. Um, and then finally, uh, the category of the enemy. So we have the, the brothers and sisters, we have the neighbor and stranger, and we have the enemy, um, the one who harms us and persecutes us. We are to serve and love um, all of those people because in the end, we are called to serve all men. Um, we are, we are uh, if we are to become the greatest disciple, we will become a slave of all. That is what Christ teaches us. And so... Um, that's who we are to serve, uh, all men, and those are the, the categories by which we will commonly find them. Those are the categories that, um, that Christ um, breaks down for us. So today's message, which it's um, unfortunate that I'm having to come up with what I'm preaching on today, um, this morning, because... Uh, Usually I give a little more thought to it, though I kind of have a, a rough idea of what I'd like to talk about. Um, I've just been on vacation this week, but the, uh, the topic for today is going to be about how we are to serve. Um, how it is that we are to serve our neighbor. Um, and so, uh, as I was driving, I think one question that needs to be qualified right from the beginning, um, as far as our methods are concerned, um, is that we are to serve our neighbor um, as we wish to be served. Um, we are to we are to love our neighbor as we wish to be loved. We are to do unto our neighbor as uh, that which we would like done unto us. Um, if we, if, if we base our service of our neighbor off of what they might want over and against, uh, what we might consider good, our service is disingenuous. It is mere submission. Um, it is surrender to the agenda of our neighbor. This comes up a lot, um, in identity politics nowadays. Um, and, uh, specifically the individualist culture that says um, that the the rule that ought to be followed is treat your neighbor how they want to be treated. Um, that is not what Christ calls us to and indeed is a ethical heresy of sorts in the church. We are not to treat our neighbor the way that they wish to be treated. We are to treat our neighbor the way we wish to be treated. And not we in our carnal nature. Um, Though carnality has to play some level, or uh, has to play uh, some role in all of this, has to have its place, um, the, the, the good that we aim at for the sake of our neighbor ought to be the same good that we wish for ourselves. 
Um, and so things like truth-telling become very important. We don't want to be lied to. It is one of the worst things in the world to feel like we've been lied to. Um, there are times where we wish that people wouldn't maybe tell us the whole truth, um, and that's another question that we can get into another time. But truth-telling is important. And so even if it might hurt them, it might hurt their ego or their flesh for you to tell them the truth, um, that is an important aspect of loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Um, doing unto our neighbor what we would like done to us. Because we would like our neighbors to speak the truth to us. Um, we don't like when people hide things from us. We want a full and clear picture of the reality that we're stepping into at any given moment. Um, and so we want our friends' opinions. Um, we want our friends to tell the truth. Um, but that being said, um, this cannot be uh, some sort of disembodied thing, uh, right? This is where you might say that carnality is thrust aside, but embodiment is not, right? Um, it's not our appetites that need to be filled um, in our in uh, in being served, but rather our greatest good, which includes that of our body. Um, it is not merely we cannot abstract um, our love to a degree of, of warm feeling, right? This is what um, James says when he says, uh, if you see a brother and sister in need, um, but you do not do anything to help them, but you say to them, be warm and be filled, um, that, that you've, you've done nothing, right? That, that it is, it is, uh, it is a, a faith that is without working and therefore a faith that is dead. Um, we, we cannot, uh, uh, we cannot come to believe that our service of our neighbor can become unembodied. It has to be embodied. And the, uh, the ways that it can become embodied are threefold. There are three ways that we can serve our neighbor uh, in an embodied way. The first way is through our time. Um, we, we have been given a significant amount of time. But as Christians, we have not only been given a significant amount of time, we've also been given eternity. And so time in relationship to eternity is nothing. Time in relationship to eternity is nothing to be grasped, right? Um, we, we do not need to hold on to our time. We don't need to be stingy with our time. So if our neighbor asks for our time, um, we ought to be quick to give it. Um, and especially if we believe that whatever our time might achieve for our neighbor would be for their good, um, given the, the gospel and uh, given the, the, um, the good that we ourselves would aim for, if we believe that time uh, given to our neighbor would be of benefit to them, we ought not be stingy because we have eternity. We have been, we, we are, we'll, we will be inheritors of uh, eternity. So time is one way in which we ought to serve our neighbors. Another way is through our resources, through our possessions, through what we have accumulated, whether that be money or materials. Um, we are, we are to give away um, what we own or use what we own for the sake of our neighbor. Um, and, and so that is a way that we can uh, 
give in an embodied way. And so um, things like giving to charity are one way of doing that. It is a rather impersonal way of doing it, but uh, there is a time and a place for it, absolutely. Um, Paul asked uh, the, the church uh, in Corinth to uh, set aside a collection for him for other churches when he would come through. Um, but at the same time, our materials and our resources are also something um, that we can give um, in a one-on-one -on -one sort of format. We can give to our neighbors that we know, and, specific, uh, and specifically, and um, perhaps most crucially, our brothers and sisters in Christ, whom uh, ostensibly we are, we are um, living life with. Um, who we, we know intimately, who are sharing their burdens with us, um, we can we can uh, take what we have uh, as far as possessions or wealth and give it away because we know that we are storing up by giving away our wealth treasure in a place where moth and rust do not destroy. We we want to care for embodied life. Christ prays that his disciples would not. Um, have short lives, uh, but rather that they would live lives um, of devotion to the sake, for the sake of the kingdom and to the, uh, to the um, cause of the gospel. So we are permitted to give away what we own, and we are encouraged to give away what we own, especially if it might uh, prolong the lives of those in our churches or those around us um, that we know and that we're uh, in relationship with. So that is another way that we can serve our brother, our neighbor, and even our enemy is by giving away our possessions or our wealth. The third way that we can serve our neighbor um, is through um, I think I would say through status. The way that we can serve our neighbor in the third way is through our status. Um, we each enjoy certain privileges and certain, um, let's say, places at the table in our lives. We each have certain areas where we are, um, perhaps you could say, worth more than others. Um, in a gross way, right? Um, we, we, we bring more to the table. We bring more weight. Uh, we bring more um, worth. We bring more, more value. We bring more honor to the table with us. Or, we, or even we, 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 we demand more respect in a certain area. Um, and I think that that is a, um, a place where Christ also calls us to lay down what we have. Uh, for the sake of our neighbor. So, for instance, um, Jesus gives the parable of the the people at the table and and the the fool who goes and sits at the highest place of the table, um, or or the the place right next to the host, um, and the, and and in the in the place of honor. And he and he goes and he sits down and he begins reclining. And the host comes in and says, "That is not the place for you." You, you belong at a different place, because at this point, um, this was a, a hierarchical thing, um, a, hier a hierarchical custom uh, among the, uh, the, the culture that Jesus was speaking to, that, that 
there would be um, a, a rank order of seating uh, at a table and that the people that were more highly honored, more highly respected would be um, placed closer and closer to the host of the dinner or the, uh, or the, or the highest ranking person at the dinner. Um, and so that the head of the table was reserved um, as a place of honor. And Jesus says that the that this man is foolish, and that um, we ought to take the lowest place at the table. Um, that we we ought to seek the lowest um, seat and the lowest status, because in seeking the lowest status, we um, allow ourselves room to be exalted. Um, so often, so often, our exaltation um, is catalyzed by ourselves. We want to be seen for what we are, so we take a higher wage, or we, um, we use our voice in a way that puts down other people, or we demand a certain respect and do not, um, associate with people who will not give us that respect. Our status becomes a sort of stumbling block to our service of the neighbor. And at the same time, we also have all been exalted beyond where we belong at some point or other in our lives. There's a point, um, probably, where each of us can think back to a person who had enough, they felt enough worth within themselves to not self-catalyze that, um, that innate desire uh, for status um, and for respect, but rather to take whatever was given to them um, and to even take a lower spot than that so that we might sit um, at a higher place. The best way to think of this is when you're in line and um, by merit of what time you entered um, the queue uh, or the line, you, um, you are allowed to uh, be ahead of the rest of the people, but there's somebody maybe that allows you to cut them in line um, or to, or to go up ahead of, of them in line. Um, this is a very simple way, a very, very simple way of, um, of allowing someone else status and honor ahead of yourself. Um, but I think it, it displays the point. We love that feeling when someone else affords us their space, the, where someone else um, bids farewell to their own uh, status and grants it to us. And in Christ... We have received that. He became human that we might be seated with God. Um, he became human. He, um, as Philippians said, did not find deity um, something to be grasped or held onto, but rather emptied himself, became, uh, or took on the form of a servant, of a slave, of someone obedient, even though there was no reason for Christ um, as God to ever be obedient to anybody. Um, he took the place of a servant and became obedient even to the point of death. So we, we follow in Christ's footsteps, um, to giving away our own status for the sake of our neighbor. Um, and the reason that he did that is so that those who were very low status, those who were traitors um, and had no honor before God might be Come the righteousness of God. Those um, who uh, had known no space uh, before God 
would uh, be allowed a spot at his table, um, and not even that, but perhaps you could say the highest seat at his table, um, because in Christ's own words, the first shall be last and the last first. So these are the three ways in which I think we can give in an embodied way to uh, those that we love, um, or, and, and, and those that we are called to love. Um, so I think that's what we're, I'm going to talk about tonight, is those three um, realities. And so I might give some examples. Um, so, for instance, maybe um, as far as time goes, maybe there's somebody in these students' lives who uh, needs their help with uh, sports, being um, trained up in a certain sport, um, or, or maybe they need tutoring, um, or, or someone to walk alongside them um, in, uh, in, in, like, in their math class, or in their reading class, or whatever it is. Um, maybe this student, um, uh, maybe a student knows somebody in their school who does not have um, a, a proper friend group, and maybe they'll take the risk for the sake of that, um, that outcast and bring them to the table, um, or, or abandon their own table to go sit with this outcast. Um, that would be a wonderful way of doing it. Um, uh, maybe um, a student feels um, like they ought to have a certain upper hand over their siblings, um, especially their younger siblings, um, the, a certain birthright uh, status, but they give up that status for the sake of their sibling, um, allow them to ride in the front seat of the car, or to take the last, um, take the last cookie, or whatever it is, um, because as, um, as radical as the gospel is, it is incredibly embodied. The way that you know that you are following the gospel is that you are able, or, or that you are a, a true disciple, is that you are able to be faithful in even the small things. Um, the, the, uh, Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees made the mistake of forsaking the small things or sorry, forsaking the big things for the sake of the small. I think nowadays we forsake the small things for the sake of the big. We make big moves, we think about discipleship in big terms, but that is not where discipleship makes the biggest leaps and bounds. It is in the minute decisions that create in us a certain conviction or a principle or a rule that we follow um, and that we'll, we will be allowed to follow into um, bigger Obedience. The reason I think that we aren't very obedient as disciples is the only time, or the only way that we think about discipleship is in the sensational, in the massive steps, in the big moves that we make in our discipleship. So um, that's an important piece to this, is that if you aren't willing to give your brother or sister the last cookie, if you're not willing to speak kindly to them, uh, even when they say something stupid or when they say something hurtful, if you are not willing to sit with the outcast at lunch, or if you're not willing to offer patience to someone who does not deserve it, if you're not willing to give somebody your pencil at school, or if you're not willing to um, uh, give away a few dollars to the homeless man on the street, then you're not going to be faithful in giving away all you own or in uh, becoming... Uh, 
a martyr for Christ's sake. You, you will never take the deepest step, the biggest step, unless you are willing to take the smaller ones that precede it. And so that is important. The, um, the, the, the minute steps of discipleship are incredibly important. Um, so that's what I'll challenge them to today, is to think through even just the minute ways in which they might be a better disciple, and, to st and really to put their pride um, to leave their pride at the threshold, to leave their pride at the door, so that they aren't bringing in this notion of themselves that they have to be somehow perfect or idealistic about the way that they love their neighbor. It's okay to know what the ideal would be and to not be able yet to take that big of a bite. Um, so anyways. Alright, I think I've got my message for tonight. Thanks for joining me on this uh, little reflection on service. Um, I hope you found it useful. I'm sorry about the background noise. Um, I'm, I'm driving and I'm sure that's kind of loud. Um, I will see you all again another time. Talk to you later.